sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father through his Son, his only Son, his scripture-fulfilling Son, Jesus the Christ. Maybe you note and read these prayer inserts very carefully, and maybe not so much. But I do hope you take them home with you and use them during the week. So if you look down at near the bottom of today's, about three-quarters of the way down the page, under marriage and family and children, I want you to look expectant, especially at those we are praying for as expectant parents. Because when the body of Christ, when one part of the body of Christ is honored, the rest of the body rejoices with it. So here is the members listed. Sabrina Snyder, who is due in mid-April. Sarah Engelart, who is due in early June. And Amy Nuttleman, who is due in mid-August. But I'm also going to name five other mothers in the prayer of the church later on, who are mothers with child and babies are waited for by expectant grandparents. Liesel and Michaela, two of Connie and my daughters, are both due to deliver in early March. Brooke, Keith, and Brenda Martin's daughter is uh, in late March. Kara, Lisa Hansen's daughter, in early April. And Ariana, Susan Cruz's daughter, is due in mid-April. On this Epiphany Season Sunday and on this Sanctity of Human Life Emphasis Day, on which we... Rejoice and affirm that unborn children are God's ongoing gift, his creative work. That they are also God's gifts to be received with both joy and humility. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant hearts this day to ponder and rejoice about God's word concerning a people yet to be created. People God dearly loves. Pastor Nettleman chanted a portion of Psalm 102 as today's intro. This is one of the seven penitential psalms, though the portion that we heard in in that intro doesn't strike me as particularly somber. However, the first part of this psalm is an expression of weariness, even despair. Days seem meaningless. They pass away like smoke in verse 3. Bones ache and groan, verse 5. Enemies taunt, verse 8. The psalmist names God's indignation and anger in verse 10. God hides his face from his people, verse 12. Yet despair turns to hope, defeat to victory. These words from verse 13 were today's antiphon bookending the intro it. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. And then verse 18. Let this be recorded for a generation yet to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Yesterday was a sad anniversary. It was 49 years since the 1973 Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade, legalizing abortion on demand in our nation. In almost 50 years, 
the toll of this Holocaust on the, of, on the unborn has been 62 million. We grieve for generations not, who have not come since 1973. We mourn for bodies and souls created, but not given life and voices to praise the Lord. There may be weariness, but there is not despair for those who witness for life. This past Friday, about 150,000 people marched for life in Washington, D.C., including a good number of LCMS Lutherans in bright green stocking caps. If you look at the pictures, you'll see them. Yesterday, Connie and I were part of a group of some 100 Lutherans in the Texas March for Life up in Austin. We sang some hymns as we marched on the streets around that grand limestone and granite capital. But we could have made this psalm our prayer. Arise, O God, have pity, favor your people. The appointed time has come. Hear the groans of the prisoners, set free those doomed to die. That is my prayer as our nation's Supreme Court considers Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. The upcoming decision may change the law of the land. It may not, but God's people will still stand for life in the womb, in its weakness, and to its natural ending. God's people will stand with those confused and scared because of an unplanned pregnancy, offering support and care, and yes, prenatal vitamins and diapers can express that care. And God's people will stand with those scarred by an abortion decision, pointing them to the forgiveness won by Jesus for every sin and for every sinner. It is this Jesus who enters the synagogue in Nazareth one Sabbath morning, handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He rolls the vellum, the scraped and treated animal skin stitched together, until he comes to a section that we call Isaiah 61. Then Jesus reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus came into this world, the great big God, as a tiny one in the womb of Mary. He was a child who grew to manhood up in Nazareth. He was ready then to begin his mission to rescue and redeem, anointed for that mission in the Jordan River. On this day, in this synagogue, Jesus uses these words from Isaiah to say, Now, hear. I'm not just Joseph, the carpenter's son. I am the often promised and long-awaited Savior. Salvation is now. It is here. It's translated as liberty in our reading, but this key word in this passage is a me. This important word shows up 31 times in Luke's gospel. It can mean abandon or leave behind. It can mean permit or allow but it usually means forgiveness, release. Salvation is liberty. 
Salvation is released from the old and the beginning of the new. Salvation is forgiveness for all those oppressed by sin and guilt. And I need to say, sin and guilt are far broader and greater than just the wrong actions regarding the unborn or newly born, the handicapped or the aged. We are all captives. We are all prisoners. We are all oppressed by what we have done and by what we have not done. We all need the Jesus who stands and proclaims the good news in Nazareth that Sabbath day and here today. The men in the synagogue started off impressed. They spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words from Jesus' mouth. Look at this young man. He's one of our own. He is the son of Joseph the carpenter, but now he reads and preaches better than any rabbi. But Jesus won't accept their flattery because they won't accept his true identity. No prophet is accepted in his hometown, he tells them. Elijah wasn't. Elisha wasn't. And I won't be because my mission isn't to impress you with miracles or with sermons. My mission is about suffering and death. It is about a tomb and a rolled away stone. It is about a new creation in place of the old. To borrow from Psalm 102 again, Christ's work is offered so that a people yet to be created will praise the Lord. The vehement prophet-rejecting crowd in Jesus' hometown explodes in anger because he is not the Messiah they want. They take him to a hill on the edge of the town of Nazareth to its very precipice, ready to kill and quiet this man. But Jesus takes control in a very simple way. He walks away, passing through the midst of them. Yet Jesus must and will go to another hill. It's not in that village called Nazareth. It's outside the city wall of Jerusalem. The hill is called Golgotha. There Jesus willingly gives his life as a ransom for all. On that Good Friday and by that third day resurrection, our Lord inaugurates a new year, the ultimate jubilee year, the unending time of his favor, his mercy, his grace, his love, his peace, his forgiveness, his new life, his never-ending life. Jesus, who entered the synagogue in Nazareth, as was his custom, has another custom. He enters this place. He enters this building, this sanctuary. He enters to hear by his word and through his sacraments. He enters to bring and to be the good news to the poor. He enters here to preach and to bring, thus to bring us the Lord's favor. He enters here to announce release to all captive to sin. He enters to give new sight to see his sacrifice on the cross as the center of all scripture. Jesus comes to this place as the great high priest, far greater than Ezra in rebuilt Jerusalem. He speaks his saving word and his people, just as they did having come home from exile, 
Listen and bow and worship, rejoicing in this same truth. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Christ, who enters our lives in baptism, remains with us in our wearying and in our wandering. Jesus does not leave. He will not walk away. He will never pass through this crowd, but he will give his gifts to this generation of believers and to a people yet to be recreated by the Holy Spirit's breath, that we and they might praise the Lord here and now and then and there for all eternity. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.